0: Today, we're joined by marketing strategist Casey Stanton. Casey leads the marketing division of Tech Guys Who Get Marketing, a company that helps business owners overcome the hurdles marketing and technology create. He's also a former marketing professor at Tulane University and is working on his first book, Functional Marketing. It's due out the third quarter of this year. Thanks for joining us today, Casey.
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Now, before we jump into more about your business, I'd love to know a little bit about who you are and what you like to do when you're not working.
1: Oh, sure. So um, who I am. So I'm 31 years old. And uh, ever since college, I've been, I mean, essentially my whole life, I feel like I've been a bit unemployable as far as the traditional routes are concerned. So um, I've I like to be me, uh, and I really like to exercise that. So what that means is I would like to spend a lot of time outdoors. Uh, I'm an avid distance cyclist. I love photography. I'm a big fan of pets. I have a dog. I love dogs. Um, and uh, I really like traveling and exploring. Currently, my fiance and I are on the road full-time. We left New Orleans in May, and uh, we're about eight months in right now of a two-year journey to find a new home so we're calling that city dating and we're hopping around from city to city staying for two or three months at a time and, and just checking things out
0: oh wow and when you stay for two or three months at a time where do you stay
1: so we find Furnished Rentals, and hopefully they have uh, off-street parking. That's kind of the uh, the best thing that we can look for. And uh, really, we're just looking at fun neighborhoods. So we stayed in East Nashville recently. We did Leslieville, which is just outside of Toronto, between Toronto and the beaches, which is a really neat kind of um, corridor that hasn't fully come up yet. You can go and have a $100 dinner right next to a bar where you can get a $2 beer, so it's kind of that perfect mix. That's right. what we're looking for.
0: Oh, interesting. Now, you know, we all love to be inspired by people's journey. So the first part of our conversation is going to focus on your business journey. So how long have you been coaching and what led you to get into it in the first
1: place? That's a great question. So how long have I been coaching? I, I really feel like um, it's just something that I was born with and I've always kind of been coaching. Uh and and i think others can relate um you know when i was in college i was thinking maybe i'll become a teacher maybe i should go do teach for america and then i looked at what people were making and the conditions that they lived in and kind of the uh experiences that they'd have there versus what you could have maybe in a more traditional workforce and i just felt like that wasn't a good fit for me so i knew there was something else but i really feel like i've been teaching or wanting to teach kind of my whole life and I really want to see other people successful and happy um, that's a that's like important to me. Uh, one of my strengths in strengths finder is the woo strength, which means winning others over and I really love that kind of component to communication so um, really, ever since I was a kid, I would start businesses with friends um, i'd have new ideas i'd try to get other people to do it. you know when I got my Eagle Scout, my other buddies got it with me, and it was the help of my mother helping them and also me. And, you know, it was just that kind of help coaching kind of atmosphere that that I feel like was just natural for me.
0: Mm. Well, you know, I love the idea of, you know, getting into something that you feel like is just really uh, an easy and natural uh, fit for you. But everybody knows that starting a business can have a whole lot of ups and downs. So can you talk to us a little bit about maybe a, you know, a low point or just maybe a big disappointment that you had while you were trying to get your business going?
1: Oh, sure. Uh, there's so many to choose from. And in retrospect, they're all, they're all great learning experiences, but in the moment they're, you know, really painful and they make you kind of second guess everything. Um, but you know, one that stands out really clearly was I was fresh out of college, and uh, I had this great idea to call a bunch of service industry people. Um, so this was um, uh, plumbers at the time, and I was going to help them with some of their marketing. And my thought was, well, I don't want to talk to these people, so I just want to leave a voicemail. And I thought I'd create a great pitch on a voicemail, and I would do, I'd find a dialing tool and dial a whole bunch of people and leave voicemails. So I thought the best time that no one would answer would be after hours. So at about, I think, 11 o'clock at night, I kind of finished the campaign and I hit the dial button. And what I didn't realize were that plumbers were on call 24 hours. Oh, no. (laughs) So I called about 150 plumbers, and they were all very angry with me for getting a solicitation so late at night. And that was a great (laughs) fail point, um, but obviously one of, of many.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's something that you can kind of look back on and laugh a little bit. And I mean, I guess that's a good thing.
1: (laughs) Right. It's a nervous laughter. Exactly. (laughs) But in uh, more modern times, um, things that I haven't been happy with, you know, that haven't turned out the way that I've wanted them to is I've had accounts that I've really wanted to work with that I've had great communication and dialogue with. and. The deal doesn't actually materialize, and I feel like anyone who's in this industry knows how that can feel. It feels like, why didn't you choose me? You know, what did I do wrong? And like, what the letdown was. And there's a lot of lessons that come from not winning an account versus winning an account. And I, I recently um, sold the largest account I've, I've ever sold just recently, and I actually didn't sell myself into it. I sold my business partner. And mm. that was a total mix of emotions because I felt like I was the right one for them. But in the end, they decided and they decided I wasn't. And it was a different discipline they needed, but I didn't see it. And I just had these feelings of confusion and frustration. I felt like I let myself down, but I also closed the business. But, you know, so it's like this whole kind of torrent of emotions around it. Um it, it it's definitely something to reflect on.
0: So when when you're faced with sort of a failure, or what a lot of people would potentially look at as a failure, um, even though in hindsight you can see it as just a learning experience, but when you're really sitting in that that feeling of failure, what do you find is the best way to uh, to be able to to push through it and to
1: move forward? It, it It's probably the most important question because uh, as an entrepreneur or as just a risk taker, you know, we're all taking risks in this, um, there's a lot of low points. So for me, um, it's, it's looking back and having a positive focus. And this is something I learned from my business coach, Dan Sullivan, who said, we can either measure our progress based on how far we've come or how far we have yet to go. And so many of us look and say, oh, the horizon or our ideal is so far away. I have to do all of this to get there. But that goal always moves. And instead, I just have to look back and say, well, here's what I did do. And here's how uh, effective I was. And here was the outcome. And here's what I learned. And it was measuring the past actions and then taking pride in them. So I think that's part of it. But on the other side, I think that there's also time and pause to be a little bummed out and just kind of be in a funk for a day or two. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with feeling the emotion of, not getting what you aim to get and worked ardently for.
0: Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. It's not it's probably not very good just to to push it aside uh without just giving yourself a little bit of time to wallow if if that's what you want and need to do.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I don't you know, in that time like uh when I closed that account for my business partner, it was it was you know like sympathetic joy for him because I knew it was a big deal, but also this frustration for me. And I didn't even know why I was so in a funk about it. And it Mm. took me a while to kind of figure it out. And it's part of it is I can put my best effort forward, but there's still an unknown. And I just have to be willing to kind of accept that I can't control everything. And I don't know, it's, it's a good, it's a good check and balance sometimes.
0: Mm. Yeah, that that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, it's it's interesting that you know everybody has these these ups and downs. You know, you you kind of the cliche. You know, you win some, you lose some. But the thing that that I think a lot of people struggle with is the idea that through all of that, you have to keep going. You have to have that consistent action for a period of time before you're going to get, you know, maybe to a tipping point. So can you tell us about, like, when you felt like you were finally starting to gain momentum when you were building your business?
1: Sure, sure. So gaining momentum is is an interesting one. Um, and we spend, you know, my... My business is in coaching and uh, marketing strategy, marketing coaching, sales coaching, that kind of stuff. But our team actually does the development and the deployment of those things. So where I come up with ideas or strategies for a business, my team then can uh, actually create them. So we have the programmers and things like that. And when I started my career, I would attend events, and I just – I wasn't getting a sale out of the event. I didn't have the ROI from the event. So from from a strictly financial position, it didn't make sense to continue going to those events. I just couldn't make a – it didn't make financial sense. Uh, But over time, what I found was building the relationship, being top of mind, offering value, and then when those people had the need, we were the team to solve the problem. And that's what made the difference. So it wasn't forcing it as much as it was really working hard to build relationships and then letting those relationships pay off. And just the gestation for a good relationship that has that ROI takes a while, and it's definitely not one-to-one. I'm putting a lot of value in. I'm I'm checking in on people. I'm sending gifts. I'm sending cards. I'm texting them photos, that kind of stuff to stay in touch with them. And you know, maybe that need comes up in a month. Maybe it comes up that day. Maybe it doesn't come up for three years, but it will come up if you're offering great value to people.
0: Mm. Is that something that you you just work into your day? I mean, are you naturally the type of person that it's easy for you to sort of? nurture those relationships or is that something that you've had to put in sort of as a structure into your business
1: good question um as far as the structure is concerned you know to be fair it's a little haphazard and i could do a better job Uh, this plays into kind of a bigger thing which is behavior modality and my behavior is um on the Colby scale, which I'm a big fan of, it measures cognitive behavior or your natural behavior ever since you were a little girl, ever since I was a little boy, we attacked problems in the same way, and that's predictive of how we'll attack them in the future and for me it's I would start everything, but I wouldn't finish anything mm-hmm. and that's you know that's the way my dad would um, uh kind of characterize me he'll start anything, but he'll never he'll never finish it well. Uh, my partner Adelaide she doesn't start a lot but she finishes everything so when we work together as a team we're really effective um, and and I think that that for me being able to follow up with people on a regular basis is a quick start activity it fits into my modality of I need to put things. You know, on my phone I use an app called Touchnote. Touchnote lets me send a postcard to someone from a photo. So I send a photo of something fun, you know, I'm on a trip, a photo of my dog in a dress, whatever, and I can immediately send a postcard to someone and they'll receive it in 5 business days and it costs like a buck and a half. So buying a 20 pack of those and they have push notifications to remind you to use it is great. Mm-hmm. Also birthdays are important. Seeing how people communicate online and then trying to communicate in a way that they're going to receive that I think is really important. So that maybe, uh, edges into the love languages. Mm -hmm. And if you know someone's love language or you can make an empathy guess towards it, or you're just going to hit all five of them and just say, I'll figure it out. Um, you know, that's an effective way too, but I don't reach out to everyone the same. I'm choosy about how I reach out to people and kind of provide, uh, love or encouragement or whatever, um, not to be manipulative, but because I just have priorities and there's specific people that I want the attention of. So I'm going to garner that attention. Mm.
0: I think that's, that's a really interesting idea. I think it plays well to a lot of people because you can, you can take it. If you're the type of person that really just loves to build relationships, I think it's an amazing idea for just cultivating Relationships with people that, you know, maybe aren't ready for your services yet, but Mm -hmm. you just want to stay on their radar. And then on the flip side, if you're not the type of person that very easily cultivates relationships, which I'm not at all, um, having some of those tools where you can get little reminders. And it's not that I don't want to cultivate relationships. It's just not really one of my strengths. So being able to work in. You know, some of these tools and some of these reminders, you know, that that's a, an amazing idea, I think, that that anyone could put into practice.
1: Yeah, and they don't have to be big or drawn out or difficult. One thing that you could do is you could find a great thing that's going to get uh, a good response. Um, I love edible arrangements. I think they're great, but they're also really expensive. You know, you're hard-pressed to send someone an edible arrangement, which is like a flower arrangement made out of fruit. Um for under $100, and that's an expensive gift just to send kind of off the cuff. Mm -hmm. So I just recently had a a great prospect, and um, they're a little flaky with making a commitment to work together. Well, I really want to work with them, but I don't want to, you know, you play that game of how hard do I chase them and things like that. Well, um, we've got a call a little bit later today, actually, and if they don't make it, I have Blondie's LP record – that I ordered on eBay, and it's her LP for Call Me. <laughs> and it's small. It's like a cute little LP. It's got this great little like letterpress, blondie caricature with the words Call Me on it. And I'm just going to put a Post-it note on it that it has my phone number, and I'm going to mail it to him, first-class mail. Well, he's going to get it, and he will have to call me. <laughs> and that whole thing cost a grand total of, what, $15, $20?
0: Right, right. That's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love the way that you're able to, you know, just work in your personality to work in, you know, having some fun into this aspect of business that is something that we all have to keep up with.
1: Yeah. And at the end of the day, um, I want fun people. I want to work with fun people. I want to have fun when I get on phone calls. Um, When there's a difficult conversation to have, I want to have had Enough psychological safety in the relationship to know that when we have a hard or difficult conversation, or someone needs to be let go on the team or something like that, that there's a foundation of trust and support there. And I think that comes through play. I think it comes through humility. I think it comes through like sending personalized letters. You know, I just had a client who um, broke a pretty significant record in their business. And was thrilled for them. We set a goal. They crushed the goal. And there's one woman on the team specifically who was doing just a fantastic job. Well, I wrote her a letter because previously I'd asked her for her love language. And I knew that words of affirmation meant a lot to her. So I wrote her a really nice letter that just said, you did it. Like The success is because of you. And I'm so proud to be working with you. And I don't expect her to reply, but I know she'll get it. I know she'll read it. And it'll just deepen her sense of commitment to what we're doing together.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Now, I mean, I just have to ask. I love the the book, you know, The Five Love Languages. And how do you work that into your conversation? You just ask somebody what's your love language?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a really weird conversation. So, um, so. Love Languages is is kind of the last one I ask for. The first one is the Colby, because the Colby defines the way people do work. And if you understand Colby, I I can just predict where you're going to have stress and avoidance. And it is unbelievably helpful. So that website is kolbe.com. And when you take the assessment, you'll get four numbers, and you're uh, measured on your fact finder. Do you like broad or do you like detailed facts? your follow through, which is, do you follow an ordered list uh, every day? Could you do that well? Or do you have to um, be a little more spontaneous? Quick start is, can you take on a new task immediately and prioritize things and reshuffle them or not? And then the last one is implementer, which is, do you spend a lot of time in your head or with your hands? You know, Do you uh, interact with the world through your head and through thoughts or do you do it th- through hands and construction? Mm-hmm. And when I get someone's Colby, I know that they're going to have a potential problem uh, with a specific task. Like I say, okay, for every you know every day I want you to do this thing and I'm working with someone who's a long, quick start, short follow-through, the person is going to get no energy after day three with that. It's just going to be frustrating. It's going to be old. It's going to be repetitive. But then you find someone like my fiancé, Adelaide, and she actually gets energy from it because she'll do it again and again and make it better. Mm. And that skill set is so valuable. So, the first thing I do is I sell people on Colby and I tell them, go take the assessment. And then I tell them to take the Strengths Finder. I think mm-hmm. Strengths Finder is huge, and that tells about their motivation. So, that's the affective side. And then the final thing I say is, now I want to know when you do a great job, how do I reward you in a way that is meaningful for you? So I know it's going to sound weird, but I'd like for you to take this free online assessment called the five love languages. And I encourage your spouse to take it and then share it. And then we've pulled together a little card tool where they input all their information, their photo, their birth date, minus the year, just the day in the month, uh, their phone number, their email address, their hobbies, their capabilities, capabilities they want to improve. And it generates a PDF playing card for the person. And then I have a card. We call it a personality profile card. And when I have a call with a team, I can pull up all of their personality profile cards and talk to who they are as individuals instead of the aggregate team. And yeah. I really feel like I'm more effective that way.
0: Oh absolutely. I mean each person feels like you're talking just to them. Yeah. And and I need to be,
1: right? To be effective. I need to be coaching each individual person to do the right thing for the growth of the company.
0: Hmm. Now, you know, a lot of times when we are, you know, getting our business going or building a business, we have this idea that, you know, success has to be measured by, you know, a particular benchmark or a certain milestone. And, you know, that can be really good to keep us motivated. So what would you say has been your biggest win or your favorite achievement in business so far?
1: Oh, wow. That's a really difficult question. Um, One great thing that happened was um, when I was living in New Orleans, I was considering getting an MBA. And I looked at the MBA program at Tulane and at Loyola in New Orleans. And I just wasn't really thrilled with what they were offering. I felt like it was a little bit um, archaic. It didn't feel like they were on the cutting edge. And I just had the opportunity to be in businesses. And 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 get a better understanding, I thought, than what they were offering. So I pitched to Tulane uh, for me to come in and lecture for a day. And I'm not an academic by any means. You know, I barely got out of uh, Michigan State University with a bachelor's of science in environmental policy. So I'm not your traditional MBA graduate from some top tier university. I'm just a bachelor's uh, degree holding uh, environmental policy wonk. And I fell into the marketing world. And I reached out to Tulane and said, can I just guest lecture for a day? I've got all these really fun wins that we've had recently. And they said, sure, we'd love to have you. Can we have your transcripts? And I got scared, and I just was like, no. So then a year later, they wrote me back and said, hey, we really want you to come in. We think this could be a valuable experience. So I went in, and I did a lecture. It was about an hour long, uh, answered questions. And then the professor said, would you do my next class? I was like, sure. So I did her next section. They loved Mm -hmm. it, and then she took me out to lunch. I met her husband. He said, hey, can you teach my section? I was like, sure. So I gave the same lecture a third time, and they said, hey, I want you to go meet the dean. They took me to the dean, and the dean says, yeah, if you want to lecture next semester, we'd love to have you on board. And that's how I got in there. And for three years, I got to teach um, and really be around these young kids who were passionate about doing something outside of school, and then just being able to talk to them and kind of coach them through their strategy post-graduation. I'd ask questions like, where do you want to be two years after graduation? And then every class period, we would check in on that and say, what did you do to move yourself forward? Who got a job this week? How'd you get the job? And we would share tactics and techniques, and we would go over different strategies to um, get jobs. And I've got students now who are at uh, Top tier consulting universe, uh, consulting agencies. Um, I've got some at IBM. I've got one who created his own denim company. I've got another who's a beer marketing uh, expert. I mean, all sorts of different niches. And just that one to many approach was so fun, and I felt like the impact was so big. Um, I loved every minute of teaching. Mm
0: it sounds it sounds amazing to to be able to have that sort of impact and then to be able to see the results um down the road a little bit
1: yeah absolutely and the way I did that is I created a Facebook group and I invited the students in and in my line of work, I find a lot of people need trustworthy entry level location independent work, so some research tasks or some you know data entry or uh some social media stuff, and these students are able to jump on that, and I'm able to get them work for short amounts of time while they build up something bigger. And some of them are going traditional routes of taking over their parents' businesses, which is fine. Uh, but then some other ones are really being inventive and figuring out who they are and what they want to do. And I just feel like the impact there is is probably um, like some of the greatest impact I've made is by helping these students find something they're passionate about.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I know you just told me that you were getting ready to, or you're already um, starting this two-year journey to figure out where in the world you want to be uh, in the future. Now, as far as the future of your business goes, what are you most excited about creating next in your business?
1: Yeah, difficult question. So um, what I'm really interested in right now is the future. And. I'm not a futurist by trade, but I'm a futurist by um, like just by like research on the couch, and I'm really interested in what's going on, I feel like we're going to see a massive uh, decline in the job market, just because jobs won't be available because robots are taking them over. I think we're going to see a lot of automation. I think we're going to see anyone who's driving with Uber. We saw formerly that they had a full-time income there, and now it's kind of a part-time income. And soon there's going to be self-driving cars that will replace that. Uh, I think there's just going to be a very significant shift in the workforce. And um, I'm really eager to stay on the cutting edge of that so specifically, I think some industries like lab-grown meat, very interesting industry. I think um, uh, autonomous cars, I think, is a very interesting industry. Um, I think uh, genetically modified products is interesting. I think the marijuana marketplace is very interesting. So mm-hmm. these are niches or markets that have a huge growth potential and kind of a unquestionably um, like confirmed growth potential. Uh, mm-hmm. We know that all of these things will happen. They will get big. Something big is going to happen. And it's kind of like, what rocket ship do you want to lasso to?
0: Right. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I just interviewed a coach who, when I asked her what she was excited about creating next, that what she's creating is coaching specifically geared towards female entrepreneurs getting into the legal cannabis business. So, yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's definitely, um, an industry that's, that's taking off and that's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger as the legislation moves through.
1: Yeah, and it it kind of it's one of those things where it doesn't matter what your take is right. on that; it's just going to happen. Exactly. And maybe there'll be a short-term um, uh, slowdown with new federal regulation, but it's going to be lifted uh, mm. if another president comes into the office or something like. It's just a given; it will happen in our lifetime.
0: Yes, exactly. Now we're going to move into the part of the conversation that I really love, and that's talking about what's working right now in business. So one of the things that I like to stress to coaches is that there's a lot of ways online and offline to make a living as a coach. So, you know, a lot of people will just get stuck on, you know, one-on-one coaching or group coaching, but there's just a ton of different ways. So can you tell us how do you generate revenue in your business today?
1: So There's uh, a few key ways that we generate revenue. Um, Our company, uh, by definition, is an implementation company. So we have programmers, we have direct response designers, and we have direct response marketers, copywriters, salespeople, project managers, kind of the whole shebang. So when an idea is created and agreed upon, the team can deploy it. So a lot of our business comes through hourly work. And we quote uh, the work based on how long it's going to take and... um, it's typically custom, so that is kind of the baseline at Tech Guys. On top of that, I created the consulting division or the coaching division, and um, in this division, it's work, we're working with individual entrepreneurs in our strengths. So we have a phenomenal direct response designer, and his job is to help design. Um, websites and different assets in order to increase the conversion and he is great so he has consulting that he offers through tech guys and uh, that's a one-on-one and our typical strategy is weekly meetings for an hour to 90 minutes with a follow-up email tasks related and then unlimited email support and with the clients that we work with the unlimited email support is, has really never been an issue um I'm clear to put in on all of my contracts when I'm available, which is 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern time. I'll always commit to that for email. uh, But I won't, uh, you know, I won't work on the weekends. I won't work at night and expect the client to have expectations that I'll do it further. Mm. Um, If I want to check my email at night and reply to them at night, that's one thing. But I don't want the client to expect that I can reply to them at night and and have a conversation. Um, I also... We have a strict rule around um, no texting. So all communication happens through email. That allows us to be predictable. Um, We typically use uh, Slack if it's a bigger account and working with them longer term, or just email if it's not. And just trying to keep everything simple. So that's the consulting side. And we've got uh, outsourced chief, um, uh, chief technology officer and chief marketing officer and direct response design. So those are the three consulting options. But what I found was when we created that, we had an issue where it was a premium priced product, and we would probably only work with the client for three months, maybe four months if there was a whole lot to get through. But in three months, we would really move the needle for them. Mm -hmm. And then they would say, all right, consulting, I don't need it. I just don't need weekly meetings. So the account would drop. And then what would happen is over the course of the next 12 months, they wouldn't have a sounding board. They'd make small decisions that were bad because all they had was a nephew who programs websites and they asked him a question and then they adopted a new technology because of it or whatever. And they would get themselves into a really compromised position and then they would come back to our development team and say, all right, guys, I'm in a lot of trouble. I need you to help me get out and we'll quote the project. And, you know, it's a six figure project. It's really expensive. So in an effort to stop that, I teamed up with our outsource Chief Technology Officer Bill, and we created a little division inside the company called Engaged Officers. And in that, instead of meeting weekly, we meet monthly and we provide more high level. Um, The price is uh, about a third of what our consulting packages are, and it allows the client to have that ongoing, constant support. We're not doing the actual implementation work, but we're helping them find the right development team, either ours or someone else's, and that's allowed us to really support clients for a long time instead of just for two, three, four months at a time, and then you know not have uh, that client anymore.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's that's a great way to. For coaches to think about not just what they're offering, but, you know, the retention and then where people are, you know, six months or a year in the future and just thinking about different ways that they can continue to be of service and and continue to keep that person as a client.
1: Absolutely. And when, when you say that, continue to be of service, one of the really, like the major tenets that we have is we're always vying for the success of the entrepreneur. So that means that sometimes we're going to offer suggestions that aren't the best fit for everyone on the team. Sometimes we'll say, Hey, you know, this vendor or this contractor, or this employee, I really don't think that they're worth it right now. And I'd rather see that money uh, go into this budget instead. And we'll have an honest conversation, but we're always vying for the success of the entrepreneur and that can never be questioned. Mm -hmm. So in that, uh, in that way, we take uh, emotional ownership in the success of the business, and we're always looking for ways to support and help. And that might mean I read an article and I send it to them because it's timely, or um, I have a phone call for them, or I record them a video, kind of out of the blue. Whatever it needs to be to support them, you know, that's what we're looking to do. And yeah, we want to find more work, but not at the cost of um, you know trying to do too much and, um, you know, watch that lever point drop and have us not be as high leverage as we want to be. Mm.
0: You know, you, you spoke uh, earlier about, um, you know, going to conferences and that you didn't at that point, you know, you, you didn't feel like at that time that it was, uh, converting or it didn't have the ROI that you wanted it to have. Um, what would you say is your favorite strategy these days for bringing new clients into the business?
1: Going to events. Um, <laughs> and, it, and it really is. So it's going to events and uh, spending time with people. And be atypical and have some fun. I've spent way too much money going to events as a sponsor and not received the value of the money I've put in as a sponsor. Because I know that if I just spent time in the hotel lobby, it would have mm. been better. Um, if I would have just had good conversations with the right people, that would have been a, a better use of my time. So – it's, it's going to these events. It's meeting people face-to-face because we trust the people that we meet face-to-face. There's something you know about the quality of seeing their eyes when you talk to them. Um, mm. And then getting them on, I love, Zoom or some other video conference where you can actually talk to them face-to-face. That's incredibly important. Uh, mm. And then lastly is the follow-up. And this goes into um, kind of a strategy that I've, I've built called functional sales. And the typical problem is leads or prospects are not followed up with enough. So you need to follow up with someone 8, 10, 12 times in order for them to have the final commitment to say yes or no. Now, you want to get to that yes or no as quickly as possible, but when you meet someone, you got to keep following up. Are you using some kind of software to manage the, the conversations that you're having? Are you using a CRM? If you're not, check out one called Insightly, and it's free. Uh, you can put a couple hundred uh, accounts in there probably, and... It's just a wonderful tool to keep up with who you're talking to, when they said to reach back out to them, how big is the potential deal size, what's their contact information, all of that. And then when you have some free time, you say, ooh, who haven't I talked to in the last 90 days that I should reach out to? You click a button, it tells you, and then you email those people, or you send them a postcard, or you send them a, a, a letter in the mail, or you send them a blog post that you read. Something like that um, is really important.
0: So when you're talking about, you know, that sometimes it might take, you know, 8 to 10 to 12 um you know conversations to to get someone to commit. You're not really saying that you need to email them 12 times saying, "Hey, are you ready to commit? Hey, are you ready to commit?" but to just bring those 8 to t- 8 to 12 points of contact in just as Different, different things, like you said, you know, maybe a postcard, maybe sending them a a, a article that you read, but it doesn't have to be, you know, eight to 10 or 12 hard sell emails, but just cultivating a relationship or trying to to get them to to know you better.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't. uh, My assumption is that when people hear my name after we've had a sales conversation, they haven't forgotten what we've talked about. That's my typical assumption. And I know people are busy. They're like phenomenally busy. They've never been busier than they are right now. I don't know what's going on in their life. I don't know what's happening with their family. You know, someone might have just graduated. Someone might have just died. There's so much unknown that I can't take any of it personal. But, you know, it's hard for me to believe that I spent two hours with someone and I followed up with them that they've forgotten what that conversation was about. Mm -hmm. I might tease to it. Hey, don't forget we chatted about two months ago when you said to reach out to you after 60 days. So this is the reach out about that. These are the things that we're looking to talk about. Do you want to meet, you know, Thursday or Friday this week? If so, what are some good times? Messages like that are really great, but those are the harder messages to get the commitment. But then there's the softer messages of how do you talk to people? How do you target them? Um, What do you send them? Do you have a newsletter? And I I kind of hate newsletters because there's so much work. Mm. But instead of a newsletter, you could send a daily email out or a regular email out, one email a week. You know, on my website, casestanton.com, people can sign up and I send emails out. I send them out as often as something interesting happens that I think is worth writing about. And they're not necessarily sales emails, but they're interesting emails through the lens of me. And maybe that's something you want to bring into your organization. So I give you that opportunity in the emails, but it's a it's a bit soft. So I think these 8, 10, 12 touches are phone calls, blog posts. It's also you posting on Facebook if you friended them. It's posting on LinkedIn if you're connected with them. It's uh, seeing them in a group, commenting, and you liking their comments. It's that kind of thing where they're just getting those touch points from you to know, hey, you're a real person. You haven't forgot about me. And then when you have that sales message again, they'll say, I'm ready to commit yes or no. And that's ultimately what we want in sales is, Someone to say yes or no, not someone to say maybe or call me later.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, you know, it sounds like that you've spent a lot of time, you know, learning and, and getting yourself, um, you know, really familiar with your offer, with what you want to help people with. So for a brand new coach that's just getting started out, you know, if you had to do it all over again What would you say would be the first thing that a brand new coach should do if they're really wanting to grow a successful business?
1: Great question. I think it's a laser focus. You want to have a focus on one thing and you want to be the one thing person for a little while. And it's kind of uncomfortable because you know that you're better than the one thing. But when someone knows you as the one thing person, then you're going to get in. You're going to be the best at it. So what I mean by that is if you're a coach, you know, in my industry, if I said I was just a, you know, a, uh, marketing coach, like that doesn't really do much. I have to get very specific about what I do and I have to describe to people. I care about functional sales, functional marketing, functional teams. And that means this. And then I describe it. It's very clear what I do. Other people have even more clarity. They say I teach people how to tell their personal story. That's a great one. Uh, Mm -hmm. Other people might say, um, I help entrepreneurs publish their first book so that they can have a level of celebrity that they've never dreamed before. Someone else could say something very specific like, um, I help women over 40 lose 50 pounds or more in a healthy, sustainable way like a very clear niche. And that doesn't mean that that weight loss coach couldn't work with men or couldn't work with women with less than 40 pounds to lose. But what it means is that they're, they get the most experience at that one thing. There's one guy that I love. Uh, I think that he's just done an expert job. I've kind of followed him through the years and he's in the men's like fitness side. This guy is so specific. The website is ripped com. I think. Mm-hmm. And his name's Andy Morgan. Uh, what he does is he does diet coaching for men that are not vegetarians that will not use their cell phone and that have a baseline of fitness and have no injuries. Good lord. <laughs> right? So when when you read through everything, he's like, "Yeah, this won't be cheap. It's going to cost you essentially the same as it cost for a uh, car payment for a, for a nice car, car payment each month." He doesn't tell you the actual price, and then he says, "I won't uh if If your answers come back to me in any email, I will cancel – excuse me. If you email me from your phone, I will cancel the the conversation, and we just won't work together, and I'll refund you for the remaining time of the month prorated. I mean that kind of thing, like so specific. But Mm. every day he goes to work, every day he gets online on his computer or maybe his phone. Who knows if he uses one? (laughs) um, He's predictable in his outcome, and through that predictability comes referability, and I think that's a big deal.
0: Yeah, that's, that's actually, you know, you hear people talk about, um, you know, really niching down, you know, niche down until it hurts. And, and people don't want to do that. You know, they feel like their message is, their message would work for everyone and they want to help everyone. But when you really think about it, you know, one of the, one thing that I heard, um, I can't remember who I heard it from. It was in a course that I took, but it was like, if you, if you're specific, you can sell for a lot of money. If you're very, very specific, you can sell for a whole lot more money. So sure, you may not, yeah. you may not want to niche down, but the idea is, is when you are that absolute perfect person for a small group of people, that small group of people will really pay you um a lot of money. They're willing to put a large investment into themselves to get very, very specific help from someone who's an expert.
1: Right. And and it's almost as if when that prospect hears about you, they're like, Ugh, you get it. Wait, someone else is just like me and you help them? Like that's that's the thing. Um if you look uh I was looking online at different doctors and there was a doctor that i saw uh that was in the liposuction business and liposuction is kind of a commodity i mean everyone can do liposuction and it's it's kind of uninteresting because of that this guy's whole thing is celebrity arms and he's a sculptor and he works with women and he's one of the you know kind of like the only doctor who's uh does liposuction of the top of the bicep. Everyone else just does the tricep. And celebrity arms, like what a name, what a brand. Sure, the guy can do midsections, he can do thighs, he can do love handles, he can do everything, but he's got this whole celebrity arms business. And like that mm-hmm. is so phenomenal and so clear. So if you have a problem with your arms and you're looking for a liposuction, do you go to the guy who's a general surgeon who does liposuction and sure he can do it? Or do you do the guy who only does it? Mhm.
0: Yeah, exactly. That that's so good when you see when you can really bring out these um examples of people who have, you know, taken that idea of really niching down and they're so specific but yet they have such a huge business. It's like you cannot you know you you can't say that that's not a great idea so that's that's an amazing idea for new coaches for sure
1: and how many billions of people are online and we're going to get a new billion of people booting up to the internet here in the next 10 years i mean we have so many people that we can communicate with your message could do really really well with 10,000 people. Like it could be the best message they ever heard. And so it mm-hmm. doesn't matter where they live, as long as it's accessible. And you can have a great business servicing a very small niche. The total number of clients Tech Guys has ever worked with is small, it's probably less than 200. And hmm. we're a sizable, strong business, but we have a niche that no one else really has. And sure, we're seeing some commoditization of our niche or our industry but we're always standing back and saying, we're still the best at the development. We're still the best at the strategy. And yeah, these other people, you know what, go take them for a spin because that shortcut's probably worth it. But when you have the real problem that no one else can solve, you know that'll always be us. And that's what we're able to sell.
0: Mm. You know, Casey, this has been so good. I've really learned a lot from you. I love to to have people on that, that make me think of things in a little bit different way that I've never thought of before. So this has been great. Now we're going to finish up with our final five rapid fire questions. All right. So what is one habit or skill that's helped you become unstoppable?
1: Proactive gratitude, without question. Reactive gratitude is when you almost get hit by a car and you say, oof, I'm so thankful I didn't get hit. Proactive gratitude is taking time every day and saying, what am I grateful for? What are the wins that I have? Um, Looking back before every meeting that you have with a client and saying, before we get started, what's one thing that happened in the last week that you did to push the business forward? Let's celebrate that win. That's Mm. huge.
0: Mm -hmm. What's one quality you feel every successful coach needs to develop?
1: It's empathy, but I think... Specifically, it's empathy guessing, and that's something I learned from Dr. Marshall Rosenberg and the nonviolent communication work. And uh, what that means is try to guess the feelings that they're feeling, put yourself in that position, and then understand the reason that they're giving you the answer or the objection that they are. And um, I was just on a call with someone that I may be working with soon, and they had this really powerful objection um, about me. And it was awesome that they were so honest to have that objection uh, in front of me. And Mm. I put myself in their position. I got it. And I said, are you asking this question because of this? They said, yeah, absolutely. And then I could address that underlying problem instead of addressing the symptom of, you know, whatever I was looking like.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's, that's powerful when you can take a step back and look at things that way. Now, recommend one book that's had a big impact either on your business or on your life.
1: Oh, one book. Just one. Um, uh, I I think that Nonviolent Communication by Dr. Marshall Rosenberg is uh, a cornerstone to my education. I think that's been huge, Um, and that's more interpersonal communication, but that's allowed me to work with clients that are you know, other people might deem them as difficult, mm. and I deem them as complex, right? Like it's not – they're not bad people. They're not out to get me. They're not being jerks. They're just complex, and they have an interesting experience that we're trying to work through. So that's number one, and number two would be – um Oh, there's probably a great direct response marketing book. What should I choose? Um, I think marketing's huge. Dan Kennedy is a place to dip your toes in. He's kind of the father of modern direct response marketing, which is marketing that is effective, not marketing that just you know flags your brand all around. Mm. Um, and if you go to Barnes & Nobles and look at, look at anything from Dan Kennedy, he's a little gruff He's a bit of a jerk. His whole notion is if you don't piss off one person a day, you're not working hard enough. So so there is that edge, but he has some fantastic messaging, and his understanding of human psychology is is top-notch.
0: Now give us one online resource that you think coaches would love and that you couldn't do business without.
1: Colby, K-O-L-B-E dot com. I just think it's the most important thing, so important in fact that My parents, my sister, uh, my fiance, her sister, um, my whole team, all of our new clients, like everybody that I touch, I want to know they're Colby and I really won't have a conversation with them uh, as their coach until I have it. I just think it's predictive of so much and uh, it allows me to make sure that I'm customizing anything that I have for these people to fit their need and to flag them when I know it's going to cause stress and avoidance, and I'm going to ask for their willpower versus other times where I'm going to say this is going to seem like an easy week because these things are really a natural you know, task for you. I think it's mm. just phenomenal.
0: Cool. Yeah, that's one that I definitely want to check out. I hadn't heard of it before, so I will be looking into that myself. There's now, also a
1: cheaper version, that, uh-huh. and it's not nearly as effective, but it's still a good one if someone doesn't want to invest in Colby, and that's getrocketfuelnow.com. And that book has two assessments. Um, We actually built that website, uh, but it's integrator versus visionary. And it's kind of um, the polar opposites in the Colby scale. So Mm. I'm a visionary because I'm a quick start, low follow through, whereas my fiance is a implementer and Mm -hmm. or an integrator is what he calls her. So that's a nice one, too.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's another good resource for people who aren't ready to invest um, in the other yet. So finally, how can the listeners best connect with you? What social platform do you hang out on the most? And what's your website?
1: Sure. So, Tech Guys is our big business, and that website. The long URL is TechGuysWhoGetMarketing.com, uh, but you can find us uh, with the shorthand of TechGuys.co, and that's where our team is. You can see more about our team, the work that we do, and if you have questions around uh, business building and and um, custom development of software and things like that, our typical packages start at ten thousand um, dollars. For me personally. My website is caseystanton.com and uh, I have my email list there and y'all are welcome to sign up if you want to just kind of see what I'm up to and, and hear about my travels and views on the business and marketing and, and you know messaging and all that kind of stuff. And, and get
0: fun pictures of your dog in dresses?
1: <laughs> yeah, those are all on Instagram. So if you want to follow me on Instagram, <laughs> uh, my Instagram is csstanton and yeah, I I take my dog for walks, and because we lived in New Orleans, that's where she's from. Um, she has more dresses than than most people, I think.
0: <laughs> well, I'm going to get all of those links um, and all the resources that you mentioned on the show notes page. This has been a really great conversation, Casey. I want to thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Yeah, thank you, Millette. I really appreciate it.